Welcome to God's Watchmen. Thank you for tuning in tonight. To, who, to whoever is listening, I pray this blesses you. Also, I hope you are buckled in and ready to hear this awesome story God has and is doing through the life of Miss Yvonne. She's, su- she's such a godly woman. She's gentle, she's smart, and she is a prayer warrior, as we all ought to be. Anytime I run into her, either in the church or outside of the church, she always has a smile on. I remember the first time I met her at a Sunday night prayer meeting at U-Turn. Now I was just coming to the Lord, and this praying stuff out loud was new to me, and it was kind of intimidating. All I know is that when she prayed, I knew there was something different about her. I wanted that same Jesus inside of me. It wasn't about how great her words were, or how loud, or how exciting it was. It was merely that she had the confidence in her praying that God was hearing her, and that she had the faith that He would answer those prayers. So it was truly an encouragement to me, and it's a blessing for her to be able to be here tonight. So let's welcome Yvonne. So how are you tonight? I'm doing good, and thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to be here and willing to share your story. This is going to be exciting. So Yvonne, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are today, and some of the things you like to do. So uh, my name is Yvonne Torres, and I've lived in Lebanon all my life. Um, I had um, moved a couple times outside of Lebanon, but it always just drew me back home. You know, Lebanon is just so near and dear to my heart. Um, I love the community and the church that I serve at, at Calvary Chapel. And um, who I am today um, compared to years ago is um, a person who just, you know, tries to love with all their heart and soul and uh, also um, I love serving community and and the people here and things I like to do um, certain things I love to cook it's one of my my biggest passions cooking and gardening and also um, I love storm chasing and that is a hobby of mine where I just go and just different storms that throughout Pennsylvania and whatnot that I can just capture like the storm clouds and lightning and just awesome sunsets and whatnot. It's very quirky. Uh, usually I'll do like a little live um, uh, video feed when I'm doing it. And my name is Jesus Loving Storm Chasing Prayer Warrior. Oh, that's so, awesome. I love that. That's awesome. Yo. So I got a couple questions dealing with the things that you like. One, what is your best thing you can cook? What's your go-to dish? The most famous thing that is known like throughout the church and U-turn and whatnot and my house is uh, Spanish rice and beans and my potato salad. Mm. Well, yeah, I actually had some of your potato salad not too long ago, so thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, now with storm chasing... Would you be willing to chase a tornado? If Absolutely. You... Oh, you're braver than I am. I, I knew. I said before we started, I said there's got to be some stuff about Yvonne that we have no idea <laughs> about, and it just happened. I knew yeah. it. I always said I wanted to chase a tornado. I grew. I watched uh, that movie Twister as a kid, right? and I loved it, but when I'm actually faced to really thinking about a tornado, I don't know if I would. Yeah, it's really cool because um, how that came about was actually um, I were I was volunteered uh, for the Red Cross um, for a few years from yeah. like 2011 to like a couple years ago, and uh, we did um, we run a disaster assistance team. So I've had like a couple like hurricanes under my belt, 
one tornado, which is the one in Campbelltown a few years ago, and also um, flooding. We had a major flood back here in 2011, and that was really cool. The interesting thing about that is when I started to volunteer for them, it was just on a whim. I called in and asked them if they needed an interpreter. Huh. Oh, yeah. And I worked for a free clinic at that time, and it was the coolest thing. And what was so wild was I was like six weeks post-op from an abdominal surgery that I had, and no one knew. So I just showed up at our armory here and and volunteered for two weeks, and it was just a passion of mine. And Wow. Yeah, I don't like the, you know, the devastation and stuff that happens, you know, with people and stuff like that, but and the losses of their homes and everything. But it's just gives an opportunity to, to minister to people. You know, in their time yeah. of need, and um, especially like when you're bilingual, that you can help. You know, just a diverse um, group of people. Hablas muchas de español. Claro que sí, yes, I do. De dónde es usted? I am from Puerto Rico, soy de Puerto Rico. Excelente. I was born there, and I was adopted at the age it was like between ten and fifteen days old, and was raised here in Lebanon all my life. Oh, wow. Awesome. So when I speak English, I don't have that accent. When I speak Spanish, the accent comes out. Oh. Wow. Thanks for sharing a little bit of that. It literally sounds like you've learned to battle through legit storms. Absolutely. And you're just such a willing vessel to do the things that you have a passion about, and God places them in your heart. So speaking about that, what, what's your alone time with the Lord look like for you? My alone time, I, that's really precious to me. And one of the things that, like, a pet peeve of it I'll share is, like, having it interrupted. Mm, so yeah. in times that so that I don't have it interrupted, I, it's my go-to is, like, what I call the midnight hour. Sometimes it's 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning where I can wake up and just get into the Word or I'm listening to a teaching on the radio station. I always have our radio station on all the time okay, because there's really awesome teachings throughout the night. But it's those moments because, like, you know, the house is quiet, the city's quiet. You know, I mean, there's stuff going on. But in that time, it's just, you know, the Lord and I. And I, you know, I could just go to him and just be like, you know, God, I just need you. Or he wakes me up. He's like, we got to deal with some things. We got to talk about some things. And it's really cool. Now, you said the house is quiet. Do you, I know you run the Dora Hope program. Do you live there? I actually do live there. Okay, so that's what you mean. The house is quiet. Yes. All right. We'll get more into that a little sure later. thing. Is there anything the Lord is speaking to you lately that you wouldn't mind sharing that you could be an encouragement to whoever's out there listening or encouragement to us, really? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things the, the Lord is showing me and speaking to me lately is, um, you know, in Philippians it talks about to be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, let your request be known to God. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus, your Lord. And he's just been talking a lot to me about anxiety. And I didn't realize, um, so, you know, the the women I, I get to, to love on and serve, um, sometimes they, they deal with anxiety, you know, and usually it's depending on like their background or their day-to-day things. But for me, like, I didn't realize I had anxiety. It's always like this strong, you know, warrior mentality. And, you know, he's just showing me just to, to trust him in that anxiety, in that storm of anxiety. 
And he does give that peace that surpasses all understanding and we don't have to figure it out. It's just being able to, you know, to ride the wave or just be still and sit in the boat and let him just, you know, guide you like through the storms. So what what's trusting in him during them anxiety? Do you get panics? Like what's trusting in him look like for you? Well, trusting for me is that um, I take my hands off of trying to control things. Okay. You know, trying to control the outcome because I want to know right away what's the outcome of this going to be. But in that, um, you know, he's a he's such a good a, a good father that he will. Um, in Isaiah forty six four says, "I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you." That's trust. And it's like trusting in him in prayer, throwing flare prayers all the time up to him, but also standing and sitting in the foundation of his word, our life book that guides us. Wow. That reminds me of Psalms 91. I'm going to read like six verses. Psalms 91, 1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in him. For he who will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease, he will cover you with his feathers, he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. There's a beautiful verses thank you for touching on that because i myself de- deal with anxiety in um verse four is what i really hold on to is his faithful promises are your armor and protection so i go back to leaning on his promises leaning on his word and standing firm on those right it's so beautiful because that's what was one of my verses, Psalm ninety-one four. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That that was and... the. <laughs> Look, I highlighted it on my phone before here. I was praying today. I was like, God, what what verse is speaking today? And beautiful, beautiful. Wow. That's so awesome. How you know how God does that? You know because if you when I look as you were reading that, there's a picture on on the internet that shows you know the Word of God open. And there's a lady laying right in the middle of it, and she has a blanket on her, and she just has this peaceful, serene face as she's just, you know, her eyes are closed, and she's resting in him. Yeah. And that's a struggle I have is resting because I'm, like, always on the go. But it's one of those things is just trust him in his word. And Do you know that the verse, be still and know that I'm God, if you break down, like, the, the Hebrew, I think it is, or the Greek, maybe it's Greek. But it's actually to to sink in. Oh, that's to awesome! To sink into the water, and to stop. And the way this guy broke it down was, it was really talking about how we need to stop trying to be gods, mm-hmm. and we need to be gods, God's children. Oh, we need to oh, let go, awesome. sink in the water. Um, the definitions that it goes through, if you look it up, are really cool. But that was really encouraging to me that. There's just so many times where I need to just step back, let down, you know, me trying to drive and give him him control. And so, right. That was oh, really that's cool. so beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, um, did you know about Psalm 91 that that's uh, um, 
it's used in in battle in our in our military. I think it's like from stems back maybe World War One or World War Two that they started to use that yeah. whenever they go out to battle and they're giving that. Were you at Chuck's New Year's party? Yes. He had read that book about Psalms ninety one, uh, the accounts of the military people, the one. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, but group of men, the the Navy SEALs went out or whatever, or whatever military was out in war. Was it this past New Year's? This past New Year's. I wasn't there, but I was there the New Year before. This past New Year's, he had shared about Psalms 91 stories of military men going out in battle saying, you know, we rode over an EMT, it went off and nothing happened in our vehicle. Powerful, that's awesome. Grenades and, you know, they were sheltered. Because before every battle, they prayed this, they read this, and I forget what unit it was, but yeah. That's amazing. The power of prayer. Prayer does change things. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you did, when you helped out with the Red Cross, did you do any training for that ahead of time? For the, um, with the Red Cross, like when the, the day I showed up, so I was working for a free health clinic. And in Lebanon, uh, in Lebanon, here, in Lebanon. Here. awesome. Yeah. And it, this was the one on South H Street. There's two. One was Volunteers of Medicine. The other one's Lebanon Free Clinic. And yeah. so I, wor- I worked at Volunteers of Medicine. And so when this happened, um, some of my tra- the background training I had, um, I did some training at Hershey Med Center because I, I worked there from like 2003 to 2009. Okay. And then from 2009 until 2012, then I worked at the the um, Volunteers of Medicine Clinic. And so some of the training there that I had was one, you know, being bilingual, um, knowing like first aid and CPR. And the biggest thing was like, you know, just wanted to help the the Spanish community. But when I started there at, at the Red Cross, it was so cool because, you know, they had all these trainings that you did in the classroom. Now you can do it online and, and stay certified. And it was just so beautiful because I kind of like did like the night shift, you know, and there was a lady that was there for like many, many years. I don't know if she's still alive or not, but she was so cool that, you know, she showed me the ropes of things and, you know, and because of social media, you know, just kind of like plugged in and said, hey, you know, we need some bilingual people and whatnot. And some people showed up that still, you know, to this day are there and, um, and volunteer as needed or have moved on to bigger things in the community, you know, supporting the the Spanish people in the community. And what was really neat about that is just, um, you know, one thing about me, and it's like, I'm not like a, like a bougie kind of person or anything. I like, I kind of uh-huh. like getting into the trenches, you know, I don't care if I get all muddy or whatever, you know, and that was just really neat being able to, um, you know, as people were displaced and slept on cots, that's I we did the same thing, you know, and be able to distribute food. And um, they would also um, set up a shelter, you know, in the same location for for people who had pets. Hmm. So, you know, even their pets got taken care of also. So that was really wow. neat to do. And just some of the awesome people that I met, you know, through, you know, through that time, you know, one couple is um, their name is Paul and Mary. And Wow, that they those two have seen things, and they even went to like um down to like you know New Orleans, and then when they had to do there was like so many thousands of people at the at the old Superdome, hmm. you know where they were housed at with Hurricane Katrina. 
That was crazy. That was huge. And I learned so much from that. And you were there. Yeah, I was not. I was. I was told okay. stories of that. And okay. that just really left an impression on my heart. That was a pretty traumatic. Experience. Yeah, it was. There was like, yeah, they shared some stuff that was like, oh, man, just like the conditions and stuff like that. And, you know, but but they were just always so faithful, even still to this day. I, I have a little bit of interest in the medical field helping out as a, as an EMT. So that's kind of close to my heart is helping out in, in that way. So that's, that's awesome. I know the, the Salvation Army has a, um, a canteen that goes out when yes. there's really bad, um, accidents or something where it takes hours. And that's, that's such a blessing when you're there working on a scene and they come and, and they feed you and, um, so volunteers are, are a blessing wherever and however they help out in like a traumatic situation like that. They are, um, because like, you know, with Red Cross and Salvation Army co- collaborate together okay. whenever there's like a disaster or anything going on. And that's, that's just so beautiful. You know, just the, the beauty of community, you know, especially in Lebanon when they do that, you know, that people unite together to help one another out. Thank you for doing the things that you do it, it, it's a blessing to hear hear these stories and how you are able to just help out the community in whatever ways you're available so and helping out the community you said you were born here i mean not born here but grew up here in lebanon right so what was it like growing up here did you know the lord or could you explain how and when you came to christ so i grew up on the north side of town of lebanon on new street and um my childhood was you know Pretty okay, you know, growing up. And um, I just, um, you know, like to a middle class family. Uh, it was pretty cool that back in that time where we were the only Hispanics on that block. But what was so neat about that is just, you know, um, we didn't have issues like, you know, with racism or anything like that. We got along really good with our neighbors. Yeah. And, you know, and my dad, my mom and dad were really hard workers. A cool story about them is that, especially some members of my family, so where our warehouse is at for um, Calvary Chapel and the storing of like food and the new freezer and everything, yeah. that's the old Bethlehem Steel building. Okay. And a lot of my family members worked back then with Bethlehem Steel. Oh. And my mom did jackhammer for Bethlehem Steel. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was so neat. I just love hearing those stories and... Yeah, they were very hard workers, and and then where the um, the school of ministry is at now for for the guys, that corner storefront that used to be my parents' um, Spanish American video store. So back in the eighties and nineties. Oh wow! The the windows there on the right. bottom, at the corner Eighth and Lehman. Well, you said we learned something again, Caleb. Uh, I just found out where I live. That's right below me. Right. So I knew she'd be full of surprises. I didn't yeah, know that's awesome. It was so neat when they had that. They had a store there, and then they had a store in Allentown, and yeah, and because of that, that's where like um, I could tell you, you know, some of my childhood, you know, I was very rebellious with my parents. Um, okay. Always uh, sneaking out, you know, when thinking when they weren't home. Um, there's with the house we lived at. There's this little. Inky, I don't even know if the tree's there anymore, but I used to climb out my front second floor window, go down, try to go down the rain spout, jump on this tree, go down and take off. 
and go to my friend's house and whatnot. You're like a and, squirrel. Uh, yes, a rebellious squirrel. <laughs> That's like straight out of the movies right there. Yeah. Like getting out you at just, night. You just painted a picture, a movie picture. Yeah, until my dad busted me. and Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah coming in, and I just go to step out to from my room to go to the bathroom. There's my dad sitting on the step because he would get up like 3 o'clock in the morning to go to work, and there he is sitting on the step, and he handed me the key to the front door and the back door. He says, here. He says, because if you're if I go out there and you're splattered on the sidewalk, I'm going to tell your mom, get a shovel, your dad, your daughter's out there on the sidewalk, I'm going to work. <laughs> and ever since he gave me those keys, and then I stopped being rebellious for a while until huh. I turned 17 and then really went crazy because that's where my my battle with drinking started. Oh. Yeah. So grow, growing up in Lebanon... You didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian household, right? I did not. They believed in like, you know, the Catholic things, um, like the lighting of candles and praying the rosary and whatnot. But there was a moment in my life where as a kid, where I just remember being um, like, you know, kind of like cowered behind a, a couch. And you know, I won't go into a lot of detail what was happening, but I just remember, remember I talked about like the peace that's the pastor understanding. I just remember crying but I just remember being comforted also. Okay. And that was something that that little, that thing there from that young age, you know, led to a lot of, you know, um, crazy stuff that, that happened in my life and things that I did that were crazy, you know, in my rebellion before I knew Christ. So that was, that was just a time of something really hard was going on. Right. And you would kind of hide and you would take shelter and you feel like God would kind of meet you there. And give you peace is that right right okay. but it was also like you know when i think about it now you know in this day and age those are times where it's like because then it struggled with isolation mm -hmm. that was part of like going to that hiding place and at that time i didn't know you know but it's just even like as an adult where there's times when things can get too pr too much pressure for me and i would just hide and isolate yeah. you know yeah. and you know, and just like kind of like shut down. So you said at 17, your your drinking problem started. Would you be willing to share what what happened with that? And did that lead you to Christ or what what led you to Christ? So I on the first time, um, cause, you know, throughout our, my life, um, I had received Christ, but really did not know what a relationship was with him. Did not know that, hey, you know, once you receive Christ, you start reading the word, you know, you start praying, you start going to church. At 15, I did make a commitment, and then I didn't know. And the wild thing about that is when I first made a commitment to Christ at the age of 15, I was going to Mennonite church. Huh. And that was wild because, like, my sister, you know, was going to this church. And she's been going to this um, to Mennonite church for, like, 40-some years. You know, she doesn't, like, dress like, like them or anything like that, you know. But it's, um, you know, they do read the Word of God. And, you know, it's not like our church has, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But they read the Word of God. You know, they just have certain different, like, doctrines and whatnot, you know, um, for membership. But... Um, I just remember that time and then like throughout that, like wanting to to fit in, you know, with my friends. I chose the wrong friends. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's like when I graduated from high school at the age of 17 
And because of that, like I had dated a guy that was, uh, you know, a couple years older than me. And so, um, you know, of course, I got in trouble about that because, you know, my dad did not approve of it, whatnot. And just remember, like this chaos that happened it was a really big fight that then led for me um, to to actually move out on my own at the age of 17. So oh, I had wow. an apartment actually right down um, Willow Street near Fifth and Willow Street. So, yeah. So then as a result, like the, the drinking. So. Here, I just remember like in high school, just kind of like, um, you know, with my friends and stuff that, you know, we would like mix drinks and like, you know, the iced tea used to be like in these big cartons and whatnot. So we would just mix it and whatnot and drink right. and, you know, and there were times that, um, you know, my drinking got so bad that, you know, I would black out. And it's just kind of like, and they would have to like do like charcoal. I had to drink charcoal. I'd be in the hospital. They'd oh, have man. to do charcoal. And then I would just like just puke, you know, and because I'd had alcohol poisoning or whatnot. And it led to, my drinking led to a lot of, um, you know, difficult relationships, a lot of rebellion, especially against my parents. You yeah. know, I didn't know then about like honoring your mother and father till late in life. Yeah. And, you know, now, um, you know, just my mom and dad are like, I just look at them and they're like, they're my authority. Um, yeah. Wow. And, um, and I know we'll talk about this, um, in reference to like my cancer. Um, but there was one verse, um, God has shown me and he honor your mother and father and I will give you long life in the land that you're living and he has been so faithful to that, even in the ugliness of my rebellion, you know, my middle finger in his face and my parents' face, you know, and um, just, you know, I learned over the years, um, you know, why, you know, when I like dug deep into the root of my drinking, you know, uh -huh. it's like a, like a generational curse, like, because my, um, my biological dad he was an alcoholic yep and you know i did not discover like that to go deep in that root issue it was 2017 when i had gotten my second dui so you're you're 17 mm -hmm. kind of rebelling dab not dabbling you're in to alcohol and hanging out with your friends right and you had mentioned cancer at, at one point when did when did that come into the picture from 17 to so um, throughout my years, um, you know, that I've had this, um, you know, touch a little more about the drinking. So throughout the years, yeah, like yeah, I would yeah. go through like these time frames, I not even realizing that I was an alcoholic. And sometimes yeah. when people would call me alcoholic, we'd make fun about it. And mm -hmm. I didn't know the seriousness and of it and the carelessness of it until I got like the first DUI, which was in 2008, and then the second one, which was in 2017. How old were you at that time then? In 2008? Yeah, just roughly. I was like in my 30s. Like I was okay. about mm, maybe okay. about 36 or so because I had gotten diagnosed with cancer the first time in 2006. Okay. Because I started developing symptoms at 34. And one of the symptoms was um, my pancreas because uh, the cancer um, – that I went through was pancreatic cancer. So I should not be sitting here because like I had all the symptoms of it and I should not be sitting here because yeah. a lot of people that usually have all the symptoms usually last between two weeks, six weeks, maybe six months at that time. 
And the survival rate at that time was like less than 1% of anybody surviving that. Now it's like up to like 7 or 9% of people that survive it. Wow. God had different plans for you. He did. And if you ever hear like some of our pastors or teachers will talk about like the different storms that we can go through, usually it's like a storm of instruction, storm of correction, or storm of the enemy. I had all three of them. I had all three of them because the first one was like, it literally was instruction. Um, I wasn't coming to Calvary Chapel here at the time. I was going to Cornerstone. And with um, when I got diagnosed, I just remember like, getting all the symptoms. And there was just this, uh, I had this annoying pain. I thought, you know, it was right, right after Thanksgiving 2005. And so I just had this annoying pain. But I remember getting up, you know, during service and just going to the bathroom. I was getting sick and whatnot. And here, when they started doing the the different tests, I was I remember being at going to one test at Hershey Med. I had a sister in Christ with me, and the Lord just I said, "Lord, I don't know what I'm going through, but it just seems like it's gonna be something big." And very very gently, I heard, "It's cancer, and you will go through it," and that was it. And I just remember looking at the ultrasound screen, seeing that that some there's something that should not be there. So you just said, it's cancer, you'll go through it. And you will go through it. And all this time, I've had it three different times, 2006, 2013, and 2018, that I was diagnosed, you know, with it. The same? Same cancer, yeah. What? Yeah, I had stage two and I had stage four. I had METs to the liver, and I also had a spot in my spine, and the spot in my spine was miraculously healed. I should not be here. I live with 30% of my pancreas and my liver resected and bless a bunch of other organs that are not there no more. So when you first got diagnosed with this, I'm sure it was scary. You had fears. How did you hold on to Jesus during that time? And then when it reoccurred, how many years later? What What was that like? Wow. God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And why, I don't question why anymore, but at that time when I questioned why would you want to give someone like me hope? You know, someone like, you know, I think sometimes I, I have thought of myself like just like the woman at the well, you know, the woman that, um, you know, was going to get stoned by the by um, by the leaders as Jesus is riding in the sand. You know, every time I think of that story, you know, I just see Jesus, you know, in my mind, in my heart, as he writes, you know, she is mine. Those are things I think about. She is mine. Right. Oh. And so when I got diagnosed, um, what was really interesting is. The day that I got the the results, it was um, right after uh, New Year's Day of 2006, and I got the you know was told you know it was pancreatic cancer, and at that time I still worked at the um, at Hershey Hospital, and what was so awesome is the boss that I had at that time, he used to work in the cancer you know center there for like 20 some years before he came became a boss of the department I worked at. And he made some phone calls. He got me like one of the best oncologists to see me right away, and um, and just so many people just started to pray, 
prayer is like was such a vital, vital thing, you know, throughout all these years in battle with it. Is that what grew you to be a strong prayer warrior? Yes. And um, it's it's enduring the hardship as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Enduring the hardship. Because that was a lot of hardship. I remember at that time, my mom was in Puerto Rico taking care of my grandma, who was um, starting to get sick. And um, she ended up with like dementia and Alzheimer's. And she passed away in 2012. And my dad had um, started kidney dialysis because his kidneys had failed and because of diabetes and whatnot. And so I remember he was doing, um, they call it like peritoneal dialysis, where you can do dialysis at home for eight hours during the night. He didn't have to go in, you know, three days a week, whatnot. Right. But I remember I came over, you know, my mom's visiting in Puerto Rico, and I always met with my dad in the evening to have coffee with him and just, you know, talk about the day, make sure he's okay and everything. And then I would go home because I had, you know, my own apartment. And he went upstairs. He goes, oh, let me go get my machine ready, and then we'll go and have coffee at your sister's house. Yeah. And I'm standing there, and the tears start streaming down, and I just run up to him, and I'm at the entryway of their bedroom because when you're preparing a dialysis machine, you can't go into the room because you Uh have to have it, you know, disinfected and stuff. And I just stood there and I just waited. He got everything done. And I, all I said was dad. And he looked at me and he's like, what Miha? You know, Miha means daughter in slang. And I said, and he said, did you get your results? And I said, dad, I have cancer. That's the first time I ever saw my dad cry because um, oh, wow. he just threw his arms around me and he hugged me and he started crying and I couldn't cry. I'm crying now because I just think of how just beautiful that moment was. Mm. And um, I said, we got to call mom. He says, I'll call your mom. He says, I just want you to be calm and go home. I said, all right. He goes, I'll have her call you. And so I went home and like about 25 minutes later, I get a call from my mom and my mom was very calm. You know, which was unusual for me because, you know, she's like, uh, she gets very emotional. And she said, Yvonne, as soon as your dad called me, he started crying. And then he told me, she goes, do I need to fly home? I said, no, you don't need to fly home yet because I don't know what's going on. When you think of cancer, you think death sentence. Yeah. You know, and for me, it was, it brought new life and I didn't know it at that time. Okay. So here, you know, my mom's taking care of my sick grandma at the time. My dad is going through dialysis. And then here, this cancer, you know, this cancer, you know, happens. And so at the end of that, um, you know, 2006, January 2nd, 2006, I find out January 31st of 2006, I go in for surgery. A simple surgery that was supposed to be five days in the hospital, six weeks out, turned into the most fiercest six-month battle of my life. Oh, wow. And I um, I remember, like, a couple days after the surgery, you know, they put you in the ICU after a major surgery like that because, like, so, you know, I have this huge abdominal scar and, yeah. you know, they had to go in. You know, I lose. Our pancreas is only six inches long. Uh-huh. And so I only have 30% left. So, you know, they removed 70% of my pancreas. And then right after that, I just remember, like, they cleared me from the ICU. I'm in a regular room. And I had a, a, a longtime friend from high school. Her name is Christine. She had come to, to visit. My family's there. And I'm laying there. And I thought, oh, I'm getting chest pains. And I thought, 
I think I'm having a heart attack. I'm saying this to myself. Uh-huh. So not to freak out my parents or anything, you know, I said, oh, I'm tired. I think, you know, I want to rest, whatnot. And they're like, okay, they left. But I looked at my friend Christina and said, don't you leave. <laughs> you stay right here. Yeah. And as soon as they left, I said, you got to get a nurse. I think I'm having a heart attack. And here, um, wow, God's in the miracle working business, you know, to this day. Here, they come in and they do these levels called the troponin levels to see if you're having a heart attack and something was happening. Yeah. So they put me into the cardiac intensive care unit. They had cardiac doctors come in and they start to do an echo. And and it's like the ultrasound of your heart. And he's like, there's blockage. And I'm looking at the screen. I said, I was cleared for surgery. There shouldn't be any blockage. Like, why is there blockage, right? And he looked at this as serious. You know, you need to call as many family members as you can to come in. What? And I asked, this is weird. So I asked for a mirror. And he says, you don't want a mirror. I said, I need a mirror. And here, I had that gray color to my face. It's it's called the death color. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to die. Like, yeah. I'm going to die. And so right away, um, I said, call my sister Enid. You know, my sister Enid and I are so close because she really... Her and her husband, her husband passed away, and I can share about that because um, he passed away from cancer. And um, wow. so here, you know, my family did show up. I mean, people left their jaws. My nieces and nephews were there, whatnot. I get taken into the cath lab because they think they have blockage. And when I woke up, I asked the doctor the first thing. I said, how much damage was there? He says, there's nothing there. What? Nothing there because the power of prayer. And I said, you need to bring. I know that's uh, me. That's what I said. You know, because the doctor's shaking his head. Goes, there's nothing there. And we saw. We know what we saw on screen. Oh, so you saw it on the screen, but Mm -hmm. when he went into the surgery, nothing was there then. They did a calf. You know, where they put like wires just to kind of put a camera there and look. There is nothing at all there. And I asked, can you please bring my parents in? He goes, we can't bring them in yet. I said, no, bring them in because God just did a miracle. And that just, you know, from that point on, um, I had um, really bad um, infections. If you um, if you ever heard of like MRSA and VRE, yeah. I had that really bad. Um, I had uh, just issues with like wound failure. Um, just uh, just so many things happened, like you know, throughout all the all these different surgeries I had. The worst surgery I had in that six month time. It was around May 4th, and I just kept having, like, this really strange pain. I stopped eating, and my visiting nurse at that time said, you know, something's not wrong. You know, your color is going gray again. I said, I just don't feel good. Yeah. And I went into the ER, and I just, you know, just remember the, you know, nurse practitioner said, you know, I think we're going to admit you, and the one attending is like, sent me home. So by the next day... The general surgeon who had done the original surgery says, you need to come back in here, you know. And so here what happened was I developed this um, crazy abscess around the pancreas, and they had to go in to remove it. And in that surgery, I um, I coded, and they had to bring me back to life, and that was uh, May 4th of 2006. Wow. And I just remember waking up from that surgery, and just all I heard were the words, we almost lost her. And I went into, they had me in the ICU, and um, they had me on the vent. I tried to pull the vent out, and they had to restrain me. 
And one of the really crazy things about that, when I tried to pull the vent out, it did like, um, it's, it kind of scratched like uh, the back of my vocal cords. Okay. And it just, you would hear like this clicking noise. And I remember the nurses pleading with the surgeon, please take this vent out. Because that's just, it was just something that, that it was just so heartbreaking, you know, to, I could see their faces like, okay, something's wrong. Like, you know, but I couldn't really talk. And I tried to write on a board um, to my mom and my mom's like, I don't know what you were saying. You're trying to write, you know, because it looked like hieroglyphics, you know? Yeah. And finally, when I was able to, to write some words, I just remember saying, mom, you know, you got to beat the devil. You know, and I said some, I did a profanity with it, you know, where he, she needed to beat him at. And um, if you get my drift. And uh-huh. so, yeah. And so there were so many people praying for me. I also remember the most powerful thing with, when it comes to prayer and praise. When you praise in the storm, the enemy hates praise. Yeah. And so I had a group of awesome friends that... They brought their guitars before they remodeled the Hershey Med Center, the, where the main entrance is at, um, the old main entrance. They brought their guitars and brought some friends, and they did worship outside of the hospital. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That was awesome. God had that hospital rocking. Yeah. That enemy sure fleeing. He did. He sure did. And then after that, like, you know, even with um, – you know, and what was so cool was like, I was so, he took care of me. Like, yeah. you know, like PTO time, people donating, like, you know, their vacation time, their PTO, whatnot. So everything was taken care of. What's so powerful is um, my sister and my brother in law, um, they took care of me for the first two battles. And um, so, you know, each battle was like, um, you know, it was, it got a little, it's because you would know, you know, what to do and, you know, how to go through it. But um, my brother-in-law uh, developed uh, cancer and it, it was in um, 2015. And my sister shared the news with me as we were going on a drive to to look at the changing of the leaves in Mount Gretna. And um, my brother-in-law only battled, um, he lost his battle in a year year to like today right and um he passed away september 10th of 2016 and that um started my spiral to a a major major face plant like i just rebelled against god um because i didn't know what to do um you know and i was still here i started coming to calvary chapel in 2011 and you know what if what I knew then, I would do now. But his death really took an impact on me. And I tried to be strong, like for my family, but it took one little seed. And then, like, I would go out, I'm just going to have soda. I'm going to have a taco, you know, on yeah. Taco Tuesday night in a bar. And within a matter of weeks, like, I just started spawning within six months. I took a huge face plan. And that's when I got my um, second DUI in 2017. Explain to, I don't think the average person understands what it's like to be in the body of an alcoholic. Explain what, what that's like, um, you know, compared to the, to the average person alcohol. Okay. You know? So there's some people that can, um, 
you know, one, they, what I call like lightweights, they can't drink at all, you know, or just hate, you know, detest the taste of it, the smell of it, whatnot. Um, And then you have some that like, if they don't have, um, you know, I don't say can't say there are like degrees of alcoholism and whatnot, but there is. There's some that if they don't have it, you know, the next they get sick. Yeah. Just like Withdrawals. you know when they call like yeah like you know yeah. like it's like it's a drug you know, and so with me, um, you know, I'll be very straightforward. Like I was a fish. I was like a functioning drunk. I was a functioning alcoholic, and yeah. kind of knew okay, you know. I have to go to work, whatnot. And what I know now, you know, if I knew back then, I wouldn't do it. But there's a plan and a purpose for it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's, and God uses it, you know, for, for his honor and glory. And so with me, it was just like, you know, I could go to like family functions or, you know, go to a bar, whatnot, you know, be the first one there and the last one out, make sure everything's gone, you know, and, you know, with other people drinking, whatnot. But the thing is, it's like, you know, the next day, you know, dealing with the hangover, dealing with, you know, the throwing up and whatnot, but still like getting up, you know, and still functioning, whatnot, not realizing that, you know, destroying my body inside and out. It destroys yeah. your, you know, you're not of sound mind. You have no peace. Uh-uh. And then you do stupid things. You you don't clearly think, you know, yeah. my stupidity, getting behind the wheel of, uh, of a car, you know, and... um and I'm so thankful that, you know, when I got the the second DUI, I just remember I had to call my sister and I was parked in front of my old place, my old apartment. I was parked less than like, less than half, right down the street. And I'm thankful someone called. And um, so the, the cop had showed up and knocked on my window and I was so destroyed. Um, I was in a horrible relationship, um, and it, I can't even call it a relationship. It was like a, like a six month hookup. Yeah. You know, that's what it was. You know, yeah. and the guy was really abusive, very manipulative, and um, he was a drunk himself. You know, and just a, like a functioning drunk also. But I didn't realize like just, um, just how bad it was until it got really bad, and and also. Um, I'll never forget that even still getting up, you know, like that mentality of, oh, well, I didn't go out on the weekend. You know, I would go out like maybe like Tuesday or Wednesday, whatnot, right? And still come to church and still come to church. And there was one warning after another, after another, after another. And I was so fearful, such a coward to not be able to speak up and say, I need help yeah. to speak up and say, U-turn was in, is in, was in existence then. Cause you know, yeah. and so, and I just, but I had one warning after another, after another through all the preaching that was being done, you know, and all the teachings and yeah. And so when it happened, um, you know, I tried to hide it from my parents here. I'm a grown woman, you know, at that time, try to hide it from my parents and when I had to tell them, like, you know, when I, I was having a court date, my sister's like, you have to tell them. And I said, okay. So I showed up and I said, you have to be there with me. And when I got there, my parents were in, the li- in my sister's living room and they were watching TV. My sister's in the kitchen and I walk over and I said, okay, I'm ready to talk to them, you know, come over. My sister went upstairs. 
and left me sitting in the living room with my parents. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I told them. And so my mom started crying and my dad, you know, he was mad. And he's like, what are people going to think? Your name's going to be in the, in the newspaper. And I was so stinking prideful and still had that attitude. And I said, well, it was already in the paper. You know, that yeah. was, you know, yeah. my response. And it's my problem, you know. And here, I like now I look at it, how sin affects that one seed of sin yeah. affects the whole family. Uh-huh. And I'm not talking just my personal family, but the body of Christ. When one part hurts, the rest hurts. Just like when I first had cancer, we suffered together. We rejoiced together. We suffered together. The same thing with the effect of my DUI. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget... Um, Pastor Tom, at when we had Monday night Bible study, we were in the book of Proverbs. And that particular night, Monday nights are, are the Monday night Bible studies. And I was at home, and the Lord's like, go to study. And I went, and I, need, I said, I need an answer to prayer. I got the answer, and then I got the rebuke. Uh. And... He was sharing, he, I don't remember what the exact Proverbs was, but he was sharing about that. And then he shared his heart about, you know, when sometimes, you know, you wonder if you're doing, um, when you're doing the work of the shepherd, if you're, you know, like doing the right thing, you know, yeah. if you're really taking care of the flock. And then he goes, especially when you see someone's name in the paper, and he cried. And the thing is, that I didn't, still didn't even tell. I didn't tell the. I didn't tell my pastors. I was so fearful. Yeah. And that was that was pride. But they had already seen. He. I think he's seen the name and had asked. You know, is it really her? And man, that just broke me. And that's when I just went and I just sent an. E- I remember sending an email and just opening up about it. And with that, um, so when I got sentenced, I had asked. Um, I had asked the Lord. I prayed and kept praying, and He kept delaying the dates. I remember this. I've Do you heard remember? This. I've heard this. He part. kept delaying the dates, right? And I had said, I, I said, Lord, I said, I know. I said, I'm going to come be very, very truthful. I said, Lord, give me the hardest thing because I know. I said because I know so many people, and so many people know me, and all this other stuff, you know. And I wasn't thinking about high grace and then or love. I said, I will be, I'll be, I'll manipulate. Uh-huh. I said, I want to die to this. And I was, um, the first thing was, the, te- the first test was, I applied for DUI court, Lebanon DUI court, and then I got denied. So I was looking at three months to five years in state prison, if, you know, at sentencing. And so a week before um, uh, Thanksgiving, in uh, 2017, I get a phone call from the DA's office, and they said, you know, we had rejected your letter, and you, normally we don't give anybody second chances, but we're going to give you, an, we want to give you an interview for DUI court. And I said, okay. And then they gave me a date. They're like, can you come in this day? I said, well, let me look at my schedule. They're like, can you come in this day or not? And I'm like, I'll be there. 
right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, and I went, and what was so powerful, the DUI court coordinator at that time, um, her name was Jennifer. She says, I just want to let you know something. She says, when we deny someone DUI court, when we reject the application, she goes, we don't give a second chance. But someone highly recommended you to the program. And still to this day, I don't know who did that. God. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. And I won't go, but he did it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So after that, I had that I had that interview. And then I had my first interview was, you know, to be accepted. I had to sit with uh, a guy, Matt, from Drug and Alcohol. And uh, he was like, he was a stern guy, you know. And then my probation officer, her name was Samantha at the time, and and the DUI court coordinator. And we're sitting there. I'm being, you know, interviewed. And I got accepted. And the day I got accepted was on my birthday, December 5th. And then December the the 20th, and then I got approved and, you know, to be able to. And I had to start doing my 90 and 90 with um, AA. And at first, I hated it because, like, I just didn't really want to go. It was like, you know. And I remember um, Tom saying, boy, they just threw you into the wolves. And I said, I hope to be leading those wolves to to, um, to be leading the pack, like kind of like lead them to be sheep. Yeah, that's the right heart yeah. right there. Yeah, and, that's the right attitude. Oh, man. But it's like I fought it so much. And so when I got sentenced, you know, I, oh, our president judge. So he saw me and it's just like because the first time I got the DUI, he was the judge, you know, and I remember that first time he looked at me and he says, he goes, being the gentleman that I am, may I ask how old you were? And I was like 30 something then. Then he saw me again, you know, and I could have tried to to fight this, you know, because I didn't really have a good lawyer, but I'm like, I am not going to fight. I'm done fighting. Yeah. I'm fighting. I want to die. You know, I want to die to this, you know? And so the DUI court is five years long, and you can early out in two and a half years. And the Lord has stood faithful to helping me to complete this. I max out at the end of this year. Oh, so you're still doing it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still under supervision, but I've I've done everything that I needed to do. And I've had awesome... um, probation officers that you know and it was just that was where you know the lord was teaching me how to submit and you know to submit to authority and that was like a teaching point of like starting you know you know all these years where it's in preparation to all the different authorities that he has blessed us with here at calvary chapel what what it sounds like is that and you being still you found more uh, I don't want to say success, but favor from God. That when yes. you step down and you're like, you know what? Whatever happens, Lord, I'm I'm here. That is when things kind of smoothed out and God just started blessing you because you started trusting him. Would you say that's right? Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. And it was beautiful because, you know, um, with that, there was uh, different things that happened. I remember one probation officer said to me, you know, I could see you running a house for women. And this was before you started helping out in any way. Yeah. And, um, and so in that time frame, um, well, you know, you know, my love for gardening. So that, um, right after I got sense, I started, you know, doing the, the first garden over here at the shelter 
And that's where I got to the root issue of why with the the alcoholism. Yeah. I used it as a crutch. Yeah. You know, like we use different things for crutch. Some people use food. Some people binge watch movies, shopping, whatnot. I've done everything. Like, you know, you get out of one addiction and then there's something else that tries yep. to creep in, you know? And so, um, you know, the root issue is like every time, like, I remember that one year we dug like two little, like 250 tiny holes, just planting flowers here and there, you know? And every hole I died to something. It was like having that funeral and having that funeral and getting to that root issue, you know? Um, it was just, it was so awesome. Um, you know, and it's still to this day, you know, I have to die, you know, die to self to be all in, you know, you got to deny yourself take up the cross and follow him. And that's not just like once a week, once a year. I have to do that every day. I fail many times because, you know, but it's just, it's just trusting. Yeah. What would, what would you say to someone today who is struggling with alcoholism and they're stuck maybe in that pride where they know it's there, but they don't necessarily want to deal with it, but it's in the room. What, what encouragement would you give them? What words of advice? There is hope. There is um, help. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, the different um, residential programs that we have, you know, like Women's Shelter on Willow with Lauren Wong. And, um, you know, there's the, the addiction recovery um, meetings, you know, with Jeff Wong, you know, the missing piece. And uh, U-Turn for Christ, you know, with Keith Maxey and um, Ben and Jody with the Women's Ranch, you know, there is hope, you know, there is help, you know, God is our ever-present help in times of trouble, you know, and, and it's actually, you know, um, and even like, you know, what, with alcohol, you know, that was like, you know, that bottle was my God, that was like my husband, and now it's like, you know, surround yourself with people that have been there that can point you, you know, to Jesus, point you to the word, point you to the right direction, you know, where you can make that, that U-turn. And, you know, the fight is that you have to be willing, you know, what you put into it, you're going to get out of it. You know, if you choose not to, then, you know, um, you're going to have despair. You're going to have, it, it brings problems. Yeah. Um, you know, again, that um, sometimes like, you know, I know like part of the drinking was to kind of like mask pain. And now I'm able to, you know, to go through pain and to go through storms without having to go back and rely on that crutch. Now you're a storm and, chaser too. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, and even like helping others to, to go through their storms. And some of the like the things I went through in life was beautiful. Um is like, you know, where I serve at at Door of Hope, you know, Door of Hope is like kind of like a long-term um, home, home, you know, for women that have been graduates like of U-Turn and, and Women's Shelter and Willow and whatnot. And right. they get a biblical foundation, you know, some can do the uh, the one, you know, a year or at the discretion, you know, Lauren Wong is, is my director and, and oversees um, both the shelter and Door of Hope is, um, you know, is getting that, we need that foundation of Jesus, you know, and then be able to kind of uh, relate and give, you know, offer prayer, offer counsel, offer accountability, you know, um, to these, you know, to these precious women, you know, to be able to, you know, walk through life. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. What what would you what advice would you give to someone going through I don't think people understand how dark cancer can be and how lonely that is that time when you're when you're dealing with it and going yeah. through that. What uh what would you tell someone who's going through that right now? So with cancer, um it's not um it's not always, you know, it's not always going to be peaceful valleys and green grasses. And, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone. First and foremost, you know, Jesus is there. And to some people, like who have lost loved ones that, hey, you know, where was Jesus when my loved one passed away? Especially like with kids, like, you know, there's a place that tugs in my heart when like, when kids have kids, I'm like, God, give that to me. You know, I'd rather take that burden, you know, but he has a plan, you know, he has a purpose, um, you know, for it. And, um, you know, search, you know, you can search the scriptures, you know, especially in the Psalms, the Psalms give such comfort, you know, especially when we go through illness, when we go through any battle at all, you know, we can have find hope, you know, in Christ and in, in, in his word. And then actually like, you know, having a, um, you know, a support, you know, from family, from a church body, you know, there's so many people in our community that you can build bridges with. You don't have to suffer or fight alone because we're not called to suffer or fight alone. Yeah. And, and for someone outside who has a friend or a loved one with cancer, what are, what are things that people did for you that like made your day? Oh, that was so beautiful. Um, so preparing meals, especially, um, you know, like they were like, I didn't have a certain diet restrictions, but I remember craving watermelon all the time. Okay. And so we would get like these big giant watermelons and then they would be cut up and whatnot. And that was just like my go-to and, um, the cards of encouragement, you know, funny cards, um, you know, a sense of your phone calls. Um, and, um, also, um, you know, a prayer, again, prayer is very, very vital, very, very comforting. And, but one thing too, that's important is, um, you know, you as a cancer patient, one of the biggest beautiful thing was like the love and support of family, but also the love and support that they gave my family and, in, in, um in our time of need. And that was very, very vital. Caregivers are like the behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I thank my, my sister and, you know, and my brother-in-law who's now in heaven, uh, Huang, um, for, for caring for me, you know, for being there because it was hard. Like it was stressful. It was very challenging. A lot of, you know, hospital visits and whatnot, but man, you know, bringing that, that meal over, that phone call, you know, that hug, you know, is so important. Meant a lot. Yeah. You know, because it could be not only just physically exhausting, but mentally and spiritually sometimes too. Yeah. So thanks for sharing all that. Uh, from sitting back listening, what I see is a beautiful, faithful, loving, caring God that knew exactly what you needed in every situation, uh, he was the same God that healed you from cancer. He is that same God that you ran away from when your brother died, that you knew he comforted you years back, but you still ran to the alcohol. Mm -hmm. You were trying to fill a void. Right. 
But he was that same God that still disciplined you in love because you asked for it. And here you are today being used by that same God to lead women that deal with the same issues that you went through. And it all is because you are willing to be able to be a vessel for him. Amen. To be all in, you know. And, you know, just like in um, in the one verse, uh, Joshua 1, 9, that was a huge verse um, in the beginning of the battles and still, you know, till now. And um, it says, this is my command, be strong and courageous. And yeah. I got to emphasize, like, you know, right after this is my command, be strong and courageous, exclamation point. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, period. You know, and it's just I look at that. Just those three things right there in that verse, you know, those three sentences. And it says, you know, we know three makes a point and seven brings it to completion. And when I think of that, you know, God was with me wherever I went. Yes. You know, and and I cringe because of a lot of like the horrible stuff that, you know, I went through, the horrible stuff I put people through, you know, and the rebellion I did. Yet. He was there. He saw all. He knew all. And still, still, he loved me through it. High grace and mercy mm. and forgiveness, you know, sharpened my iron. Um, you know, he put, he set my feet upon a rock, you know, and just, just so amazing. And, you know, one thing um, in the, with the, when I got um, sentenced for DUI, I had to do 90 days house arrest. And that was power because my life was so chaotic that I needed that for structure. And I remember that I was told, this is a structured program. And when I heard that word structure, I said, that's what I need. What I need is your structure. And in DUI court, you in the beginning, you had to go in every two weeks to kind of like give a report of yourself. So it was an opportunity to kind of like to share my testimony, you know, what I was doing. And then your probation officer was kind of like, would say, yep, you know, they're doing well and whatnot, right? And the setup was kind of like, you have a judge, you have someone over here in the corner, which is DUI court kind of typing stuff. Yeah. And yeah, then you yeah. have your probation officer. It's kind of like, it's like pleading. And I thought, wow, this is like kind of like going to the throne room, you know, and, but, and, you know, and I don't look at God like this. Oh, he's like this squishy grandpa or nothing like that. You know, I know he's a, powerful holy god that by grace we can enter his throne mm-hmm. boldly right and yet like hey you still have to have reverence you still have to have that healthy fear you know and such a respect you know for him and and here i'm like wow and he he loves me you know and just he carries me through things you know he just he's just so awesome and i remember the judge one time said you know you know, because, you know, sometimes like, oh, yeah, I changed my life and God's doing this and whatnot, right? And it was a question we had to answer. And he just asked me a random question. He goes, did God put you in this courtroom? I said, no, my sin did. Oh. My crime did. I said, God then showed up. I said, I'm in the disciplinary mode right now. <laughs> yeah. You know? and so, I like yeah. how that judge said that. Mm-hmm. Did your sin, you know, did God put you in this corner? No, yeah. my sin did. Uh, love yeah. your response. It's honest. Yeah. That's good. So, uh, 
thanks for being here tonight, Yvonne. Thanks for sharing your story. Sure thing. But Thank you so much for the invite, and I'm very thankful. Before we close, though, uh, I have one question for you. It would be, if I have it here, what encouraging words would you give women out there today that are, I mean, you went through pretty much everything. So what, what encouraging words would you give them now? So by encouraging words um, for women, you know, we, um, sometimes we take on a lot of things that we don't have to take on. And Psalm 34, 5 says that those who look to him are radiant with joy. And, you know, in the midst of battle, in the midst of struggle, you know, in the good and trying times, you know, just keep looking to him. Find your hope in Jesus mm -hmm. because he is there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And, you know, and one powerful thing is like never give up, never back down and never lose faith in Christ because he will carry you through the most fiercest storms. You know, he gives you rest. We're not supposed to carry burdens, you know. I mean, we carry babies, you know, but we're not supposed to carry all those burdens, you know, because it's his. It's his. Jesus already paid for it at the cross. Amen. He already did. Yeah. Every single drop of blood he shed, every beating he got, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, just trust him and know you're not alone. You know, there are people that will that will pray for you if you need prayer cry out to him seek another sister in christ you know to pray you know and where two or three are gathered jesus is faithful to be there beautiful amen, amen. beautiful uh, caleb would you like to pray us out yeah absolutely lord i thank you uh thank you for this time uh that we could just hear from miss yvonne here lord i pray that you would just uh, bless her, Lord. Bless um, the door of hope, Lord. Um, just I uh, thank you that you've brought her through just uh, so many storms and, and valleys and um, that she's here today, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would just bless her, Lord. And I pray uh, for those listening uh, who might be on a hilltop or might be in a valley. Mm -hmm. I pray that they would... Um, hang on to these verses that were shared, these words, that they would find encouragement in, uh, in you, Jesus, and uh, that you just show up in their lives like you did um, for Miss Yvonne here, Lord. Um, you have abundantly blessed us, Lord. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.